All right, uh, welcome to the Eric J. The Great Podcast Show. Uh, we got uh, two special guests on the show today. We got Amari, um, Amari Cryer's family. Um, there was uh, victims of police brutality, um, a case that happened back in May of 2022. For anybody um, that's not aware of what happened, um, he was gunned down by a U.S. Marshal um, in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, still a ongoing case. So this is his family members, and we're gonna get more in detail of what what happened and what didn't happen on that day around that time frame leading up to it. So um, first off, uh, how you guys doing? We hanging in there, you know. We take it day by day. Uh, today's a little hard. He's got a his oldest son was rushed to the emergency room with some complications. Yesterday was his oldest daughter's birthday, so we just kind of take it day by day, you know, and try to be as strong for his mother, you know, and the kids. Uh, she was supposed to be on her with us, but she's doing her grandmother duties down at the hospital. So it's literally just a day by day, you know, trying to accept it. Uh, our family has never experienced a murder, uh, let alone you know murder by law enforcement. So it's just one of those things where you go day by day asking questions, trying to figure out what could have been done different, you know, what they're not saying, uh, what they're telling the truth about, what they're lying about. And so just trying to figure out those things and do it with bare minimal support. It's kind of rough, but we believe in God. So we'll get, you know, it's just being safe with how we move and, you know what I'm saying? Not being afraid to ask questions and not being afraid to go toe to toe with these people, even though we don't have lawyer or paralegal behind our name. So that's kind of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. So take me back to the week of when this uh, tragic incident happened. So uh, it was in May of 2022, right? Correct. Uh, very painful day for our family. We, I received the call at 10.01 that Omari had been shot and killed. And at the time, we didn't know that he had been killed by police. That day was also painful because he was killed on one of his cousin's birthday and my mother and her twin's birthday. So it made it very tough. Um, we got down to the scene. Uh, on the way to the scene, we were told, we received another phone call saying that he was shot and killed by the police. So when we get down to the scene, uh, of course the scene is chaotic. You know, we asking questions, we trying to get back out to see him because in our mind, of course, you know, who wants to accept that their loved one is gone. And we know Mari, he's not gonna do anything to put himself in a predicament as far as point a weapon, I shoot a weapon at an officer. You know, it's a situation where he may run. You're going to have to catch him, but he's not going to put himself in a predicament to where I'm going to show you that I'm a threat to you and you shoot me. So when we got there, they kept talking to the detectives. We're like, what happened? Why was y'all even here? They said they received an anonymous tip that he was there and they were there to serve a warrant for domestic violence. And so we were blindsided because nobody knew that he had warrants. Nobody was, you know, had any idea where these warrants were coming from. So we kept asking to see the warrant. Uh, that they said that they had for his arrest. They kept saying the warrant was on its way, it's on its way, it's on its way. Um, from what we were told, Omari exited, well, let me go back, I'm sorry. He was at his best friend's house. He spent the night at his best friend's house. That morning, his best friend received a phone call saying that they were coming to do a probation and parole check. Uh, and so quite naturally, you know, his best friend tells Mari, hey, my PO's on his way over here, you know, go ahead and get out of here. Uh, we did find out that Omari did have a bench warrant for failure to appear on a misdemeanor traffic violation. But even to this day, we hired an attorney to go down and try to find this warrant for the alleged domestic violence. 
but was unable to uh, do so. So <clears throat> I'm sorry, Vanessa, you need to mute your phone. Sorry about that. Um, but we were unable to get, Bird Edwards was unable to obtain that warrant uh, for the domestic violence. So again, all we knew was that he had a bench warrant for failure to appear uh, on the misdemeanor traffic violation charges. So anyway, they did a phone call to the best friend saying they were coming to do a probation and parole, probation and parole check or whatever that was. Amari supposedly leaves the house, goes out of the house, and there's a bunch of unmarked vehicles. And next thing you know, they jump out with guns drawn, so he takes off running. He takes off running, and within seconds, three shots are fired, Omari shot and killed. That was pretty much all the information, you know, that we received. There was uh, two witnesses, an elderly lady, two doors down, and then another young man that had done a news interview. They pretty much said that Omari came, well, the elderly lady said that he had came outside, you know, same thing, took off running, but he looked as if he was running for his life. Uh, the young man stated that Omari looked like he was coming from the store and the two marked cars were patrolling real close, you know, following them real close. They hopped out the car, he took off running and within seconds he was shot and killed. When it gets down to what LMPD had to say, um, at first they released an initial statement that said an altercation took place and a deputy discharged his weapon. Then they came back and said a, a brief foot pursuit took place and a deputy, it ended a long offense, a deputy discharged his weapon. When we met with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, they said Omari drew a weapon from his waistband while running. He dropped the weapon at some point, according to the Commonwealth Attorney. He did drop the weapon, but the marshal thought that he was reaching for it, so the marshal shot. None of the stuff is consistent. And so when you look at the uh, body camera footage, it's unfortunate. We don't have an angle of what this marshal saw that caused him to fire his weapon. What you see on the body camera footage, a lot of it is online. Uh, some of it is edited as one unedited version, but the stuff that's available online, it shows him running through the back of an alley. Uh, he's got on gym shorts. So quite naturally, if I got on gym shorts and I'm kind of a big dude, anything heavy in those shorts, I'm gonna have to remove it because I'm not gonna clear this fence that I'm trying to jump. Well, he's got on gym shorts, he's running. He tries to jump the fence and he still falls. There's an officer within three to five seconds behind him when he falls, they never pull a taser. You hear him say, drop the gun, drop the gun. But from our perspective and uh, people have weighed in on the video footage, you can't really see clearly that it's a weapon in his hand. You really can't tell what it is in his hand from the from me viewing it and also from like the comments that I've watched, you know, read online from people just kind of weighing in on the video. You can't really tell what's in his hand, but you do hear an officer say, drop the weapon, drop the weapon. Pow, pow, pow. He's gone. You know, you don't ever see him turn and point this weapon. You don't ever hear return fire. You don't see him initiate the gunfire exchange. All you see is him running away and he's pretty much closed in. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it's hard to have these conversations because you see so many times where, especially since Omari was murdered, uh, it's been four cases right here in the city of Louisville where they were going for domestic violence disputes. Uh, you don't see the U.S. Marshals involved in these trips from LMPD. Uh, white men going for domestic violence disputes. You had one man that who actually fought the officer, broke the officer's finger during this altercation. Um, try to hit the officer with a car and the young lady that he was obviously into it with, no shots fired. Uh, just last week, you had a man, they're going for a domestic violence dispute. Young man fires at the officers, white young man, 
fires at the officer, sets the house on fire, but LMPD comes back and says, no shots were fired. So when you're seeing all that stuff and then still trying to wrap your mind around what happened on May the 20th with Omari, it's hurtful. Uh, it still exposes that there's some racially motivated stuff that's taking place because we're not given the same energy. We're not enacting the same policies completely across the board when it comes to what that looks like. Uh, but that day for us, uh, I'd have to honestly say it's one of the worst days of our lives. And every day we just try to push forward. You know, he left several kids behind. Um, so we try to push forward, be strong for him, be strong for his mother and his sister. That was our only son. And so when you think about that, if you were, they said he was wanted on alleged domestic violence charges. And that's a struggle because our family doesn't condone domestic violence in any shape, form or fashion. Regardless of that, though, you should be standing in front of a judge and a jury being tried. And if you're convicted, you lay down, you do your time. You get out, you do something better. You get anger management classes. Stay away from the young lady that, which is his child's, one of his children's mother. You stay away from her. But that whole situation has been a struggle. And here's why, Eric. When you think about domestic violence cases, 90% of the time, if you go to, if I go downtown and say, Eric, put his hands on me, right? If they feel like they have enough evidence to activate a warrant, that warrant for your arrest is going to be activated immediately. This didn't happen in the case with Omari. This alleged incident they're saying took place January 23rd of 2022. The warrant that they're saying they have was not activated until March of 2022. They didn't attempt to serve the warrant until May of 2022. And so we kind of, as far as LMPD, we speaking out the sides of our neck. If you felt like you had enough to get a warrant, that warrant should have been activated immediately. He should have been apprehended immediately. The other side of that is the fact of, did y'all ever attempt to serve the warrant? Because if y'all did, y'all would have located Omari at the same house of the young lady that allegedly went downtown and said that he put his hands on her. He lived with this young lady until like late March early April, she planned his 25th birthday party, which was March the 13th. So I'm not saying that that justifies anything. Again, I will stand on it. If he was found guilty, he should be sitting in penitentiary right now, serving his time, going through anger management, trying to get his mind right as a young man, because he's never been raised to put his hands on a female. So my problem is we took away that chance. We took away his consequence. His consequence was not supposed to be death. His this was supposed to be, if you are found guilty, sir, you're going to serve some time. And hopefully in serving some time, you get your act together and you never commit this crime ever again. You never violate a woman ever again. But we don't even know if he was guilty or not because he never was able to stand in front of a judge and a jury. Um, it's just trying to get them, trying to wrap your mind around what that looks like, you know, for my son, for your son. It's unfortunate that our young black men have a fight or flight mentality when it comes to dealing with officers of the law. You know, I don't know what y'all gonna do to me. I don't know if y'all gonna beat me to death before y'all get me downtown. I, you, so I'm a run. And that's sad because you see it happening all the time. But I just feel Omari didn't have to die that day. We should have done, could have done something different um, that day. The marshal that fired the shots, which brings another concern when you're talking about the policies that they enact. The marshal that fired the shot is also the same marshal that administered CPR. Mind you, three minutes after the critical window to administer CPR, if you don't do it within three minutes, your chances of survival start to be chopped in half, all the way down to none. But he was the first one to administer CPR. How can we as his family, his children, feel like you gave true life-saving effort when you're the one that fired the shots anyway? And then at one point, refuse 
to be relieved of doing CPR and allowing somebody else to take over. That officer should have been immediately removed from the scene and placed in a vehicle till a supervisor or somebody got there to take his statement. Instead, he was allowed to remain back there and administer CPR. And there were a total of, as far as we know, 12 officers of the law out there, five being U.S. Marshals, seven being LMPD. So it's just a lot of questions. I don't know. I know I've been talking for a minute, so I don't know if you have any questions about anything so far. Um, is is she with you right now? Yeah, or Vanessa. Sir. Yeah. Okay. Did 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 you have anything you want you wanted to say about uh what transpired on that time frame, May twenty twenty two? Um, honestly, I think she's kind of went over mostly everything my thing is everything she said really but I really just want to um add in like people always basically we know y'all have to do y'all job of course police officers have to do their job but the thing is don't kill us like you don't kill them that's all that's it we we, we matter too so don't kill us like you don't don't kill them that's it now the one thing about this and uh that I uh, that stuck out to me was um, just like all the other cases that was popular around the country when, the, especially around the pandemic with the police brutality and things like that. When it happened, maybe a month to six months, it started to pick up as far as traction, as far as you know, either whether that be um, political figures or celebrities or people famous people just talking about it and building up that traction to where, you know, it put pressure on either the mayor or the governors or whoever, you know, to um, provide support or to take a deep dive into it to where, you know, possibly, because the only thing that can happen in something like this when, you know, and it's, and it's, and it sucks to say it, but, you know, because you can't bring the person back. But right. so the so the so the the only thing that they they really can do is settle for for the mistake that they made and the proper judgment and and killing someone when they didn't have to be killed and it's uh that's the one thing that sticks out in in this case because then nobody think that like oh we should look a, deeper in this and try to see and um, hold more people accountable, especially, you know, the police department and all the upper people that sent those people out there to act on that warrant because, you know, warrants have to get signed off by judges and other higher people before they just go out there, so. Yeah, so uh, the support from the community, and I mean, we try not to hone in on that because we're going to do what we have to do as his family. Uh, I don't know if it was simply, you know, they said he was wanted on alleged domestic violence charges. I don't know if it's because when they dropped the body camera footage, they spent like three to five minutes telling everybody exactly what they was about to see. So for your average viewer, you just spent all this time talking to me, telling me what I'm about to see. Guess what I'm gonna do when I watch the video? Look at what you just told me I was about to see. Those are the key things that I'm looking at. And I think some people may have saw that and only focus in on the fact, oh, well, they're saying that he has a gun. But the problem with that is if I'm a fleeing suspect somewhere in the training with LMPD and any task force that they create, if I'm a fleeing suspect, you really need to be trained thoroughly to really be able to evaluate what type of threat I am to you. When you're fleeing and 
it's literally in my mind, the way I'm thinking about it, I'm running and maybe I did pull a gun from my waistband, but just because I pulled it and you see, I'm trying to jump a fence. It don't take rocket science to know that you got to remove some weight trying to clear a fence. Am I really a threat to you? Or am I literally just trying to get away from you and to fire because you see me pull a gun and I sent you a clip of the video. It was disturbing. Uh, mind you, the first time they released this video footage to me, two sets of footage was encrypted to where for whatever reason, I couldn't download them. I just recently did another open records request. And this time I was able to download the other two sets of footage from the officers that I wasn't able to get the first time. But this one particular officer is in this video countless times, one telling everybody, don't, hey, don't forget I got this on. Hey, don't forget I got this on. And then he's telling other sets of officers what happened. When he's telling other sets of uh, the officers what happened, I would expect for him to say, you know, we, uh, we thought he was gonna shoot that gun or something to that extent. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't say that. He says, oh, he was running. You know, he pulled it from his waistband. He tripped. Then another time he says, you know, oh, he was running. He pulled it from his waistband. I think he still had it in his hand. None of that stuff is enough to say that he was a threat. You got to, y'all's policy says you have to feel like your life is in danger or an innocent bystander's life is in danger or another officer's life is in danger in order for you to shoot. Him tripping doesn't tell me that he was a threat. You know what I'm saying? Him running and having it in his hand doesn't tell me he's a threat. He's a threat when he turns around or his body language says aggression and I'm getting ready to turn around and shoot and fire. If he's running away from y'all, he ain't showing aggression. If anything, he's showing fear because he running. So for you to be able to basically plead self-defense, Commonwealth Attorney's felt, office felt like they wouldn't be able to indict because this officer was going to be able to plead self-defense. Well, here's another problem that we have within the judicial system. There's no footage from the angle of what this officer saw. So how are y'all making a decision? Well, he said it in the meeting. We're basically listening to the marshals. That's not right. Because the marshal's gonna say anything to keep his job. That doesn't mean what he said is true. On top of that, what was his mindset that morning when he went to work? What's his history as far as behavior when it comes to these task force and the operations? I spent countless hours just looking up, you know, task force and US marshal involved shootings majority of the ones that I looked up suspect was fleeing and tried to ram an officer with a car suspect was fleeing and fired shots at an officer suspect was trying to flee and fought an officer and suspect was shot none of it says suspect pulled a weapon removed a weapon from their waistband and was running away now if he if they could come back and tell us you know he pulled the weapon and he turned his body he turned towards us he pulled the weapon and he pointed the weapon we don't have a fight in the world we don't got an argument all I could literally sit here and say is, oh, my God, I could never think that my cousin would be that stupid. But y'all telling me he pulled it as he was running away from y'all, not in running in y'all's direction. He was not going to make it out of that backyard. No way, no how. And the reason why it was 12 officers on this task force and it was a pit bull in the backyard. He wasn't making it up out of her. Either way, he was caught. And the other thing is when he jumped the fence and he fell, why didn't you tase him? You was three to five seconds behind him. You had an officer three to five seconds behind you, jumping the fence right behind you. Why didn't you extend your taser? How many feet do those tasers extend? You know what I'm saying? But instead you shot and you shot too soon. He never posed a threat. You could see it on the video. If you pause it and zoom in, Omari's face showed nothing but fear. Omari's face showed, oh, you know, I don't want to cuss on your platform, but oh crap, I done messed up. I ain't making it out of here. They gonna catch me this time. You know what I'm saying? 
but you shot and you killed him. And then it took y'all, it was a pre-planned operation. Erica said that, Erica Shields said that on her press conference that it was a pre-planned operation. They received a tip of his location. They met up and made a plan to go serve the warrant. Here's my problem with that. In pre-planned operations per y'all's policy, y'all supposed to have EMS and fire departments properly staged in the event the suspect is shot, an officer is shot, or an innocent bystander is shot. Fire department arrives on the scene, I believe it was like seven minutes in. You hear an officer saying, where the F is EMS? The dispatcher says, 15 minutes out. How did you pre-plan this operation? How is it a, how you pre-plan anything with no plan? There was no plan. So what if it, instead of Omari being shot, what if it was one of those officers that was shot? Y'all had no plan because EMS doesn't show up. What if it was a child, he's running through the backyard and it's a child in the backyard and the marshal would have fired his weapon and the child got hit. Again, we had no plan because EMS was 15 minutes out. So when you're thinking about that stuff, it's we want justice for Omari. Our family's not focused on no money. Our family is focused on, we don't want this to happen to his sons. We don't want this to happen to your son. I don't want this to happen to my son. It's simply people are going to make mistakes, but that's why we have a judicial system so that you can go before a judge and a jury. At the same time, where is the training at? Where are the policies at? If you are an officer, a U.S. Marshal, and you acting with the LMPD task force, your body camera footage needs to be activated as well, not just the LMPD officers, you are part of their task force now. So why ain't you abiding by the same rules and regulations that they have to? Well, it didn't. She said that they should have had it on. Yeah. I had read, put it on the highlights. You can see it said he should have had it on. So okay. there's an article on the Department of Justice website that actually does state if they become, if a marshal, a federal agent becomes a part of a task force, that they're supposed to abide by the same rules of the task force that they're working with. But the city of Louisville try to argue that, saying that that's not the case. We don't know who this marshal is. We don't know if he was ever suspended. We don't know if he was ever placed on. We don't know nothing. Why? Because he's got different type of immunities. But at the same time, you can't be an officer and be above the law. There's so many unanswered questions. I can start with the timeline of the warrant. I mean, the timeline of the warrant itself makes absolutely no sense. And then on top of that, it was electronically signed. Well, how do I know that the judge is the one that signed it? Y'all crooked. We know it. Y'all under investigation for so much stuff. The Breonna Taylor case exposed a lot of stuff that y'all do wrong. So how do I know that Judge King is the one that signed the warrant? How do I know Detective Khan don't have her information to go in and on warrant? You know what I'm saying? It's just one of those situations where you didn't get anything back. Uh, as far as political figures, I know Charles Booker sent a, a letter to Chief Erica Shields asking questions, you know, but her whole initial statement was alive. There's been no video footage that proves the altercation because if it was, they would have dropped the altercation. We would have seen it because it would have automatically justified what they did. You've never seen any type of body camera footage come out about an altercation. Uh, reached out to Mr. Booker's office, didn't get in. Reached out to several people as far as political figures, you know, trying to get somebody to assist, somebody to point us in the right direction because we don't know where to go with this. We ain't never experienced a murder and we ain't never had these type of encounters with law enforcement. We kind of just schooling ourselves. It's like I'm trying to put myself through law school to figure out, you know, what's what? Where can I go with this? Where can I go with that? But you don't get that support. You don't get that feedback. And we spent time, you, you know, we had times where we was highly upset. We angry because it's it ain't over, you know. You got these couple of officers that's in trouble because of Breonna Taylor's case, but it's still happening right here in our streets. It just happened. Omari's prime example of what happened, but I don't know if it's because the details, you know, they, they were very limited on transparent. They have no transparency at all if you really want to be technical. 
there's been no follow-up in the media about the case. You know, it's kind of just been hush-hush. We just had the meeting with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. Uh, what was it, two and a half weeks ago? About two and a half weeks ago. We don't know if they made their decision public. But at this point, we want to speak on it because we don't agree with the decision. You know, and it's not just because it's our loved one. It's just the way you explained it to me. There was opportunity to tase him. There was opportunity to tackle him. Y'all chose not to do it. And then I you're telling me right. all in the same breath, this marshal gets to plead self-defense because y'all don't feel like y'all have enough to indict. Well, do y'all really have enough to indict? Y'all might. And the reason why is because you're telling me he did drop the gun, but the marshal thought he was reaching for it, so he shot. Can't shoot me based on what you think. I got to show you that I'm a threat to you in some shape, form, or fashion. Then you have another officer on camera saying he tripped. You can't shoot me because I tripped. If anything, you can tackle me and go ahead and put them cuffs on me and take me downtown. But uh, we didn't get no support. We, we still haven't really got any support. You've been the biggest support as far as giving us a platform. We literally just, we get out here, we protest as a family. You know, whatever family members can get off of work, you know, we'll go to the Gene Snyder building. We go to the mayor's office. We go down to the courthouse. We do what we know to do with what we have. Um, but as far as support, you don't really hear a whole lot. And we don't, we stopped trying to figure that out months ago. You know, we don't know if it's in the beginning, uh, the young lady that was on the warrant, she was going downtown with the protesters. We don't know what was said when she was downtown. Then her name came out. They, the news released that her, she was the one on the warrant and things just kind of got hushed. We don't, you know, we don't speak no bad on the young lady. Hopefully one day, you know, we can meet up and have a conversation because we want to be involved in the, that son's life. Uh, but for right now, it's just so many different, uh, scenarios that are out there you know that we just right now we just want to have peace and closure as far as what happened that day and what we need to do to fight so that it doesn't happen to anybody else's family but as far as support it's just us what you see is what you get you know we're doing the best we can with what we got um just hoping that God will open up a door and it'll fall on somebody's ears to where somebody will at least you know point us in the right direction and even if that's somebody else dissecting the video calling out some stuff that we don't see that we don't understand that shows where it could potentially be justifiable. I know it's justified if you point a weapon at me. I know it's justified if you shoot at one of them. I don't know that it's justified simply because I was trying to jump a fence and I grabbed it, never pointed it up, never pointed it around, never, I, I grabbed it to remove it, then I drop it. I don't know if that's justifiable, but I'm not an attorney. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a legal expert or anything like that. So my job on this side is to keep pushing. Her job on this side is to keep pushing just to make sure if nothing else, let's change some policies. Do we involve the U.S. Marshals in these type of warrants? They're trained to eliminate the threat, whereas you have LMPD who is trained to minimize the threat. So when it comes to stuff like that, it's like, what, what can we do? You know what I'm saying? Where, where can we go uh, without going crazy, without going to jail? Because you have those days, grief hits you in all kinds of ways. And it's, it's days where we crying and we sad. It's days where we happy, we smiling. It's days where I'm so angry She's so angry. His mama's so angry. We don't know what to do. You know, it's, next month is going to be hard for us because Omari should be having his 26th birthday party next month, but he's not. You know what I'm saying? And so when we think about stuff like that, the best way we can do to celebrate his life, because to us, Omari was a comedian. You know what I'm saying? He he come in the room and make a joke about somebody's socks and everybody be rolling around on the floor, literally laughing so hard that they crying. To us, Omari was a child that simply just wanted to be around family, you know, months before he was killed, 
he was talking about us getting our family kickball games back together. He's like, man, we got to get the kickball games back together. We got to get the barbecues going. Y'all know I'm the truth on that kickball field. Truth be told, he could kick a hard ball, but he wasn't the truth. But that's what he was on, you know. And so for us, it was a hard hit because we ain't never experienced this. And it's like, how do you encourage these small kids? You know, you got kids who are not supposed to fear the police because the police are supposed to protect and serve. But now his children feel some type of way about coming in contact with an officer of the law because an officer of the law is who took my father away from me. You know, he was there for his children from a physical standpoint. He spent time with his kids. He, you know, he, he was there. He may not have been able to provide financially the way he needed to, but he was there. And his family was there, his mother, his sister, his auntie, we, we've all been there. And now we've got these babies that we got to try to love on and get them to understand that he's not coming back. What does that look like? You got the school system that doesn't understand. They lost their father. He don't got ADHD. He can't focus because his father was killed tragically. And on top of that, his father was killed by an officer of the law. He ain't got ADHD, but that's what the system will do to your kids. Oh, he's got ADHD. He won't, he can't, we can't get him to sit still. This child is trying to figure out why his daddy ain't here. His daughter's birthday was just yesterday. She's trying to figure out why my daddy ain't here. He ain't never missed a birthday party. Where he at? His son's in the hospital right now. In his mind, he's probably like, man, my daddy would be here because he would. So, you know, it's stuff like that that we have to fight through and in the fight, not make it just about our family. Our family is not focused on just the Jameson Cryer family. We focused on making sure this doesn't happen to anybody else um, and that they're not able to just tell you what they want to tell you and leave it right there. They wouldn't even call us back. Eric. We had to pop up at the public integrity unit to get the detective to talk to us face to face. Like after phone call, after phone call, he's not returning calls. And if he did return a call, he's being real passive. Okay, well, let me pull up. You won't be passive. I, I ain't going to be passive. I might need to be a little aggressive because I need you to answer some questions for me. Um, we knew Mari had two cell phones. We didn't find that out. Until we didn't find that out till we pulled up at the public integrity unit. And when I, I was like, uh, while we're sitting here, where's Omari's cell phones? Uh, 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 his cell phone. Yeah, where's Omari's cell phone? He he had two cell phones. Where are those cell phones? Uh, well, I don't know why they didn't tell you I didn't have them. It's not listed as his property. It's not listed as evidence. Where are they? Oh, well, I have them. Why isn't it listed as property? Because who's to say? Was he reaching for a gun? Or was he reaching for the cell phone to call and say, hey, I'm about to go to jail? You know what I'm saying? And so with those type of questions, it's it's so hard to even think that something wasn't done incorrectly. The first thing that was done incorrectly was the whole timeline of the warrant. That was the first thing. Because from another perspective, if I'm a female and I go downtown and I, I, I tell y'all, I show y'all that this man has put his hands on me, I feel some type of way that y'all took almost five months to try to get him off the streets. So that's the part that's messed up. You know what I'm saying? Then from how y'all got there, and if y'all's warrant was 100% legit, why, would I have it on you? why didn't y'all knock on the door and just serve the warrant? Why'd y'all place a deceptive phone call to try to lure him outside? You know what I'm saying? Because he, he, he definitely had the bench warrant for failure to appear on the misdemeanor traffic violation charge. So I can see, oh man, they're going to run my name and see I got a warrant. Let me get on up out of here before your people's come in here and check on you, bro. I'll catch you in a minute. But why didn't y'all just knock on the door and serve the warrant instead of placing a deceptive phone call? On top of that, y'all, by luring him out of the house, y'all put other people in danger. It's just unfortunate he lost his life. I really put other people in danger. 
on top of that, so back to the warrant, I missed that part, I'm sorry. So when we was on the scene asking for the warrant for his arrest, they kept saying the warrant's coming, the warrant's coming, the warrant's coming, the warrant's coming, the warrant's coming. When they get there, when they get there, they went into the back door of the friend's home. I think it was about 11 something. Um, Omari was killed at about 8, 8.30, that morning. They went into the back door of the friend's home that morning around 11 something. We still been asking for the warrant for his arrest, not a warrant for the house. We kept asking for a warrant for his arrest. They kept saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Finally, at right, right clo back close to two o'clock, they bring a warrant up front, but the warrant's not for Omari's arrest. The warrant is for the house that they went in prior to having the warrant that was signed at 1.37 p.m. Okay, so here goes another question. How do I know what you took out of that house? The front door was sitting wide open and instead of you coming around going to the through the front door, you breached the back door of the friend's home and entered, and entered through the back door. So how do I know what you took out of that house? You know what I'm saying? And they like, no, nah, this is the warrant was signed at 1.37 p.m. The warrant was signed at 1.37, but you went in that house before 1.37. How did you go in that house before you had the warrant signed and on premises? And again, where is the warrant for Omari's arrest? If y'all would have been able to arrest him, he would have been able to ask y'all, can I see the warrant that y'all got for my arrest? Y'all was going to tell him y'all didn't have it? That warrant never hit, the warrant for his arrest never hit the scene. That, never hit the scene that day never hit the scene so um i know i've said a whole lot but it's just a it's a sad situation because you have a life gone you got children that i left behind trying to figure it out um like i said we want to have another uh, have a relationship you know get our relationship back with his younger son with the, the young lady name that was mentioned on the warrant but all of that healing takes time you know it was crazy accusations that was thrown about thrown out about that whole situation um we were told that she possibly sent the people down there, you know? And so just, just with that alone, it's just, it's a lot, you know, that comes in contact with that. We don't want to have tension. We don't want to have beef for the sake of the, we don't want to do any of that. That's not the family we are. We are praying family. And so until we can get the, the facts out of the case, you know, till we can get that open record, that case file and see what's in those transcripts, you know, we kind of just, we love them. We praying for them, you know, but we kind of just try to stay out the way, you know, because, it's just, this is a big deal. It's, it's a lot uh, completely across the board. But the first thing we need to do is make sure that we fight so nothing happens to none of his kids. You know, we don't want the same thing. We, history can't keep repeating itself. We as a people can't keep being so blind to what they doing on the backside of things. You know, I focused on, oh, well, they said he was wanted for this. You can't treat, it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Omari was treated guilty until proven innocent, but he'll never stand a day to be proven innocent because he ain't here no more. You know what I'm saying? But Sometimes as a community, as a society, we get so focused on the wrong stuff that we miss the key things that could help us change what this looks like for our children and our children's children. So we're just hoping that people will hear us, you know, hear the questions that we have, see some of the concerns. You can look a lot of the stuff up. If you spend time online looking it up, you'll read into some stuff and be like, what, what's going on with this case? This, this ain't even making no sense. Notice how they didn't let out, the, they didn't let out anything about the timeline of the warrant. The reason why is because a lot of people would question What's that look like? How it happened in January? Y'all ain't served the warrant to make. And y'all saying that he was wanted on felony domestic violence charges? And the fact it was a pre-plan, y'all sat out there that morning. Why y'all didn't have the paperwork? Yeah. Don't you supposed to have the paperwork? Yeah. I mean, no paperwork it. involved on the scene that day. He laid back her for almost nine hours. Uh, they kept saying they was going to allow his mother to come and identify his body. 
uh, when they finally was ready for her to identify, she didn't get to lay eyes on her son. She she was told she would be able to come see him at the morgue. They just asked her about a tattoo that he had on his arm. Did he have her name tattooed on his arm? Uh, then they called and said she could come and see him at the morgue. She gets ready to go see him at the morgue. She gets another phone call saying she'll just have to wait till he gets to the funeral home. Um, just a lot of crazy, messy stuff that would make you feel like, you know, what are y'all hiding? Because y'all y'all moving all over the place. You know, one person saying this, this person saying that. Detectives not returning phone calls. Erica Shields, we requested so many meetings with her and the mayor. Couldn't get a single one. And we, we was trying to get the meetings because we were trying to figure out why are y'all allowing the public integrity unit to investigate this case when they already under investigation. And on top of that, it's a federal agent that fired the weapon. Why ain't the feds coming in to investigate this? Why is the public integrity unit of Louisville Metro Police Department investigating? Well, we were told that Chief Erica Shields and Greg Fisher made that decision. So when we start making phone calls, requesting meetings to discuss, we don't want them to investigate it. We want somebody above them to come in and investigate. No return phone calls, no return emails, told to leave the mayor's office because we didn't have an appointment. Well, now look what happened. Erica Shields resigned when Greenberg went into office and con conveniently she resigned before she had to answer any of these questions. Check her track record. She resigned in Atlanta when a black man was killed in a Wendy's parking lot and shouldn't have been killed by her police officers. What happened? Erica Shields resigned and that's how she ended up here. Now you have Omari Cryer who was killed on your watch with a task force that you designed. You have the whole situation with Jordan Griffith that doesn't make any sense. And now you're gone and you'll never have to answer any of those questions. So you leave our families left with a lot of questions. And this is all behind your ability to police the police as the police chief. You get to Mayor Greenberg. I've already sent him an email. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I just want to, this is going to fall in your lap. Just want to know if you would be willing to sit down and have a conversation with us about this case, you know, maybe give us some more insight on what this task force looked like. Can't get any details on how many warrants the task force has served in Louisville Metro Police Department uh, in Metro Louisville outside of Louisville's West End. You can't get any details on that. It's like, you know, it's just not a lot coming from them. And uh, time is everything. You know, we winding up on a year and our, our hope and our prayer is that at least within a year, you know, we'll be able to get something done, really, you know, get some policies changed, uh, you know, get it to where they hold people accountable because um, it's not right. I just, you know, I, it's really not a whole lot else you can say about that other than, you know, it's not right. Tried to get a meeting with the inspector general, you know, to see if I could sit down and discuss. You, y'all the people that can give me some insight. This is y'all's profession, y'all the experts. So I'm simply asking for insight so we can, I can help my family have a better understanding of what took place that day. Is there some body camera footage that'll show the angle that the marshal the marshal saw? Let me see what he saw so I can try to understand how you felt like it was a threat, especially after meeting with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. And then they open up their mouth and tell me that at one point he did drop the gun and the marshal thought he was reaching for his so shot. It doesn't make any sense, but they're not going to come out and tell the public those things. You know, they're going to keep that stuff hushed because people going to question, well, if he's dropped it, what happened? Why y'all ain't tasing? Why y'all? It was twelve officers coming from every side. You can see that on the video. They coming from every side. The marshal shoots from the right hand of the side of the fence. Amari's running straight forward. He shot from the right hand side of the fence. Comes around into the fence. Where you hit at? Trying to administer CPR three and a half minutes too late. You know, and it's just like another officer comes out of the fence. He turns around like, oh man, what did we just do? Oh man, why did you shoot? And then you got this other officer. Don't forget, I got this on. Don't forget, I got this on. 
reminding them if y'all feel like what happened everything that took place was good why are you reminding them about your body camera the reason why you reminded them is because you don't want nobody to slip up and blurt out the mistake that was made or question hey you know why he shot why did he shoot so and also the unedited when we're trying to figure out like uh what was the part of what's so hard for us to get the, all the unedited information because it's like we felt like we've already seen the traumatizing part on on the tv i actually have not got to fully watch the video because i can't handle it. i know i'm not gonna be able to handle it um but i just i don't it's a tough yeah. conversation man mm. And I know, you know, uh, what y'all describing with the body cam footage and me, me speaking from personal experience, being an Army veteran and being in Afghanistan and knowing how to identify threats and, be, and been shot at before and things like that, you know, it's not that, especially when you get trained over and over again on this stuff, because you go through a lot of training when you, have to do any type of profession dealing with a with a weapon when you um being armed on a daily basis. So it's not that hard to identify if somebody's being a threat or if somebody has a gun or if they in the transition of posing to be a threat. You know, that's not that hard, especially when the numbers are in your favor. You know what I'm saying? Right. If it's twelve on one y'all easily could have just tackled him and then just put him in a car. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have to get to a taser, really. You know what I'm saying? If it's 12 people out there. 12 officers, man. And that, that's, I'm like, and when you see these cases, when you see police involved shootings, unless it's one officer that was on the scene, 90% of the cases I've seen, all officers discharge a weapon because all officers was able to see that there was a true threat. You know what I'm saying? And out of all of these officers, one officer fired his weapon. Uh, you had the young man that did the news interview um, that we was finally able to get a hold of to get his side of what he truly seen. Because, you know, the news cuts off certain stuff. Uh, but he stated, you know, he looked like he's coming from the store. He took off running. They was following him real closely. They was in unmarked cars. Within seconds, he was shot. I never heard no return fire. Never heard. So... Sounds like to me, we might just have a trigger happy officer on our hands. You know what I'm saying? Because you didn't, I know that life can, things can happen in the blink of an eye. I get that part. But where was the body language that said threat? Where was the motion that said threat? I'm a fleeing suspect. I'm, I'm running away from you. I'm trying to run away from you. I, I really just don't realize that it's like five of y'all on the other side. So I ain't getting nowhere, but I'm trying to run away from you. How can you feel like somebody that's fleeing away from you is a threat because if he was going to do anything, I'm not going to wait till I'm in the back of an alley trying to jump a fence to do something. If I'm the type of person to where I'm getting ready to try to do something to y'all, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to start popping my gun right then and there as soon as I realize y'all chasing me. You know what I'm saying? I don't, why would I wait till I get in the back of an alley? At the same time, if y'all hopped out with y'all guns already drawn, it's eight something in the morning. I'm not looking at your shirt to see what the writing says on your shirt. I'm looking at a burrow of a gun, bro. I got to go. I'm going to go on and take off running. You didn't pull up in no police car. You didn't pull up, you know, even on the video, you do hear them say, drop the gun. I think it's twice. But you never hear them say, freeze Omari police. Omari, stop. You don't never hear that. So for all I know, y'all just hopped out of Omari. I don't know who y'all. 
All I know is y'all hopped out of cars running with guns in y'all hand, and I'm in the West End. I'm gone. I'm gonna go on and take off running. You know what I'm saying? And so just thinking about all of those things, all of those key pieces that I think everybody that was paying attention to the story um, has missed, there's some questions that need to be answered. We pre-planned without a plan. We're still using deceptive tactics that could literally cost somebody their life. When, if we have legit documents as far as warrants, if everything with the warrant was handled correctly, there was no reason to place a deceptive phone call. It was simply knock on the door, is Omari crying here? I have a warrant for his arrest. Pull him on up out of there, take him on downtown, let him go on, go pre-trial, go to trial, whatever got to go on. And again, if he's found guilty, little bro, you gonna sit down and you gonna do your time because ain't nobody in this family gonna support that right there. Nobody. So if you was found guilty, sit down and do your time, get you some anger management, get you a whole lot of Jesus because that's not where we come from. We don't come from it. We don't condone it. We don't support it in any shape, form or fashion. We are women. We ain't raising our men to put their hands on no female. At the same time, if you was found innocent, you should be playing with your kids right now. Instead of your mother having to sit up at the hospital with your son, you should be sitting up at the hospital with your son. But he'll never, ever get that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? So just thinking about that and how it continues to happen time and time again. And then again, like I said earlier, you know, just following the cases that have happened since Omari's murder. I can't see it no other way. In the beginning, our family was not trying to, we wasn't trying to look at it like black or white. We just looking at it like a situation. This is a situation that happened. What does it look like? But then after you start seeing all these cases, you had a guy that shot, I think he shot and injured seven Kentucky State police officers. That man's alive. He's sitting in jail, but he's alive. I don't shoot you. I don't point a weapon at you. I don't set nothing on fire. I don't break no finger. I don't, I simply run away from you and I'm dead. That's what makes it so hard. To and die. the difference between me and them is only one difference. I'm black and they white. How are they getting different treatment? How do they get to fire a weapon and y'all and set something on fire and y'all say y'all don't return fire? Who's the bigger threat? The black man running away or the white man that's fighting and shooting? That's you. You know, and it just don't make, we wasn't trying to look at it like that, but I mean, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? It, it is what it is, unless they can show me something different. And I'm not saying that the officers have never, ever killed a white man. But what I am saying is, y'all kill us before y'all kill them. And Omari is a prime example of that. Y'all kill us before y'all kill them. When does that part stop? When does it stop? And it's like the transparency, like he was talking about with uh, uh, Officer, the chief. She still hasn't responded. We we still haven't got like full names of the officers. The only reason why we have them is because my cousin literally she dissects everything. She's over here night and day on her computer looking up things, looking in books, going to the library. You know, she's out here doing what she needs to do to figure out this for us. And it's like you still it's been eight months about to go on nine months. My nephew's been gone and we still have not heard your voice or the person that works under you that was supposed to contact us and let us know something when they got more information. We haven't got anything. We only got the names of the officers because my cousin looked it up. She researched, she got that information. Like it, it doesn't make sense. And, and all the other cases you come up, you see, as soon as the shots is fired, three hours later, all the police officers are scattered all over the news. And you see, but we why come we don't have any transparency of my, my nephew's stuff information? Why we don't know who was involved, who was there in this nine months? Y'all still haven't told us none of that. Oh, we got a few names though, just two weeks ago because we finally got the decisions. Y'all try to say that y'all can't indict, which doesn't make any sense. And those names don't include the marshal's name. They being 
very hushed about the marshal. And, um, and they said it was out of state marshals, right? Yeah, and the marshals that was involved in the task force, uh, Erwin Roberts said himself, and I quote, in 20 years, I've never seen them bring marshals from out of state. So you bought marshals from out of state to serve a alleged domestic violence warrant, felony domestic violence warrant. And that's another thing that the system needs to look at. If, you know, somebody's coming downtown and pressing charges on domestic violence, we need to follow up. We need to activate the warrant immediately. And if we don't activate the warrant and apprehend the suspect immediately, then we need to follow up, you know what I'm saying? And make sure that we're digging and searching in the right spaces because it could ultimately cost somebody their life on either side of it. On this side of it, Omari's life was lost, but if Omari's life wasn't lost and just if he was found guilty, what happened if it happened again and y'all took so long to implement this warrant? You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's sad, but I gotta advocate for both sides of it. For the female that is potentially involved in a domestic violence situation, but I also gotta advocate for the fact of if you are alleged to have committed that crime of domestic violence, I need you to sit downtown. I don't need to put you in a grave. I need you to sit downtown and serve your time so that you can get some help because there's got to be something wrong with you for you to feel like you need to put your hands on a female or for a female to feel like she needs to put her hands on a man. It doesn't work that way. So you gotta, you gotta, it's, it sounds crazy, but you, uh, I'm in a spot where, you know, I have to advocate for both because I would have been, I'd be highly upset if he would have stood before a judge and been found guilty on those charges. It would, I, my whole family would be highly upset because again, like I said, we don't condone that, but they messed, they messed up real tough in that whole situation. And so when you're thinking about what that looks like, what does it look like? We're going to pick and choose how we're going to do, how we're going to handle this. We're going to pick and choose what areas become. Uh, they stated fugitive roundup on the coroner's report. That's what they stated. Uh, the task force was going to do a fugitive roundup. What's a fugitive? Is it somebody that simply just has a domestic violence warrant out on them? Or is it somebody that has already tried to evade police, leave the state, leave the country? You know what I'm saying? Um, or is somebody that's committing grand larceny, uh, serial killer, you know, fugitive. So again, that was another story change. So it went from fugitive roundup to we simply were going to serve a warrant on him to altercation to brief foot pursuit to he brandished away. What was it? Let's literally just get down to the bottom of what and, took place that day. And also, and if it was a roundup, where who, what How many other warrants did y'all go serve? to that day? What other address? What other warrants was y'all? And was is there a list? Because y'all obviously had a plan. Well, please let us see that list y'all was going up. Sorry, right? was Omari the only one y'all came down here for Kentucky for? Yeah. So. And the thing is, too, uh, one thing, one glaring thing that sticks out, you know, um, me, you know, being a prior um, army person and knowing, you know, um, how the military is structured where you've got different people with different skill sets and different elite statuses as far as marksmanship and things like that. When I think of U.S. Marshals, like that's something that's getting sent for somebody that's like a kingpin or somebody that's doing something like like on that type of level. Like it, it should have been no reason why a regular everyday cop couldn't have served that warrant. Like two or three cops could have went there just to serve the warrant and then they could have been – the end of the story, you know, because they got enough training to where you you don't have to go that high guard because that's like the top of the top, you know. Mm. You don't went past SWAT team and everything. You went up to a U.S. marshal. Marshal, right? And that that's what that's what really didn't make any sense to us. We was like U.S. marshals. 
okay, so where's the follow-up? This child don't have not a single charge on his criminal history that says violence or firearm. He's not a convicted felon. And uh, the chief also stated that. Yeah, he's definitely not a convicted felon. felon. He was on probation for failure to appear on misdemeanor traffic charges for not having for not having insurance like that was that was the only thing that you was gonna find you know on his record so we're sending the u.s marshals for somebody that has absolutely no criminal history that revolves violence or a firearm we're gonna send the marshals you made to tell me the marshals ain't, ain't got other stuff they need to be out here dealing with so you implement the marshals and and that didn't make no sense but she didn't have no answers for that you know when they asked erica shields how many other agencies were involved all she could tell you was that it was a task force and the ta- there's about 60 different task force that have been designed to help get violent offenders or violent criminals off the street. But you kind of contradicting yourself because if he was so violent, sis, he should have been off the street January 23rd, 2022 when this alleged incident took, you know what I'm saying? And that didn't happen. She couldn't answer a lot of the questions that just the uh, reporters were asking her during her press conference. I don't know. I don't have the details. I don't know. I don't have the details. You implemented this task force. You're the chief of police. You have just had a shooting involving your officers and these other officers that you created. This is a task force that you came up with, whatever. How do you not have the details already? But you're doing a press conference. Don't come doing no press conference just to show face. Do the press conference to be transparent with the community, telling them what took place, telling them, you know, this is the history of this task force. This task force was going to serve 15 warrants in that, that part of town that day. Mr. Cryer's warrant just happened to be one of them. You can't send condolences to his mother and his family, and you don't even got no details as to why her son is killed. Erica, how many age? I, I don't know how to get the details. Did he point a fire weapon? I can't confirm that he pointed a fire weapon. What? What can you confirm? Second, third, Other than y'all made a mistake. And the mistake was Y'all should have took that boy to jail, not killed him. What was that marshal's mindset? You know, is does his history say that he's had you know any infractions against him for excessive force? And that's why, and that's why uh, we'll go back to what I said. You know, mismanagement of personnel, because you know me having been into Afghanistan and been in certain situations. Like and being and been around those type of people that has that type of skill set. Her being a chief of police shouldn't even put them in that situation to where you know, because those type of people are used to dealing with real big criminals, and that's really like so. It's like a no brainer. Like if we go on the street, we already know like we finna get action. So you shouldn't mm-hmm. put them type of people in that type of situation. Not excusing what he did. But because he still should have made the right decision, but they uh that goes to um her leadership skills and knowing how to manage personnel and put people in the right positions because like, everyday cops should have been in that situation that day, and nine times out of ten, you know he he would he would still be alive today because they would have just served the warrant and probably gave him a court date or tell him or whatever. However the proceeding go for having domestic violence but yeah sit in jail for a while little buddy here we're gonna lock you up we're gonna take you downtown you have a right to attorney you know read him his rights uh have the sheriff serve the warrant sheriff serves warrants, serve warrants every day all day that's what they do um but and, again what do we do Eric? you know what i'm saying we're, we're really just trying to figure out 
what roles to go down. You know, it's not a it's not a money thing for us because we're a type of family. We're gonna make sure his kids is good regardless. You know, we're gonna do everything we gotta do as a family to come together to make sure they don't go without. It is simply just justice don't always come in the form of a monetary value. Justice comes if I can get y'all to change a policy. Justice comes if I can get y'all to admit that y'all did some things wrong that day that cost him his life. Justice comes in more forms than money. And right now our focus is simply getting justice of a policy change. We want policies change. We want transparency and we want accountability. Just because you have law enforcement behind your name as your job title does not put you above the law. So the law shouldn't try to keep on finding excuses to find ways not to charge out. Treat them the same way you treat us as day-to-day -day citizens. I have a job too. Just because I got manager behind my name don't mean that I'm above the law. So just because he has officer behind his name or marshal behind his name, he shouldn't be above the law. So if he made a mistake that day, you hold him accountable for that mistake. And Same one, thing from the other side of it. I'm sorry, go ahead. And one thing I want to say too, like uh, I'm glad we able to get this content so people can see the other side of what happens when something tragic happens like this. But like I was telling you on the phone the other day, like, um, when we was in the military, you know, similar to a police academy, you you show up to basic training, you don't know nobody there, everybody from different backgrounds, and everybody's there to do one thing, learn how to be a soldier or learn how to be a police officer. But the difference in between what we did in the military and police academy, the glaring difference is that we got put through so many things mentally to where by the time we got in the situation, we already knew what the right thing to do because they're going to test us by yelling at us, you know, seeing where we came from. They already, So it was like a way more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was way more detailed on the mental aspect of how we approach things versus, you know, just hey, we finna teach y'all some laws, teach y'all mm -hmm. how to clean yourself, and we're gonna throw y'all on the street. Because just like being in the military, it's a certain standard. Everybody can't be a soldier. You might want to join the military, but it's a certain standard that you right. have to keep. And if you can't meet that standard, I mean, it's not the end of the world. You're just gonna have to find another career path. And it's just like with being a police officer. I mean, I understand that, you know, COVID and all this other stuff throw off manpower and a lot of businesses and corporations and stuff but it has to be a higher standard for when you throwing somebody on the everyday on the streets every day and you coming across people from different walks of life because you have people that and it's still people to this day they might have grew up in forms and it's not to discredit them it's just what well, the way their family grew up they could have probably seen three or four black people their whole childhood so that's all they know is the stereotypes or what they hear from other people in their family or other or their friends and stuff. So by the time they get thrown in a situation, they say, oh, I graduate high school. I want to be a cop. So by right. the time they get on the street and people don't realize like like that three to four months after you decide you want to be a cop, you on the street approaching people. And mainly people that you ain't never grew up around. You don't know their, their walks of life. You don't know their behavior patterns or nothing. So you already walking into a prejudge and you most of the time scared and you have a weapon. You know what I'm saying? So that's not a recipe to succeed. You know what I'm saying? So I think um, like I like my dad was a cop for 27 years. He just retired 
last year in November, and me and him be having conversations all the time. And I told him, and uh, he agreed with me. I was like, you know, if they did the police academy, how we did basic training and certain drills that we had to go through, a lot of these cases won't be happening just because they would get broken down in the academy and get weeded out. They they would get weeded out in the police academy before they even get a chance to go on the street because they'd be like, oh, you're not mentally right to even handle this, so we're not even going to put you in this situation. You need to go home. Yeah, it's kind of like the same thing I do on my job. You know, when we hire associates, they're on a probationary period. That probationary period is to make sure they have what it takes to do the job. You know what I'm saying? Make sure they have the people skills to deal with hostile customers or, or in those situations. How do you handle like that probationary period? Because in the, within that probationary period, I have the ability to see if you are if this is where you need to be. Um, and a lot of times it's like, how often are y'all doing mental health checks on these officers? They, they do deal with a lot. So how often are you bringing them in to do an eval to see if mentally they're the same officer they was when you hired them, whether it was a month ago, six months ago, 10 years ago, because they face a lot, especially nowadays, crime in this, in this city is at an all-time high. And so mentally, that stuff can be draining. In my profession, mentally, there's days where I'm like, God, Lee, today was a day. You know what I'm saying? So how often are you doing mental evaluations to make sure these officers are still in the right frame of mind and they're not butt hurt over a situation or personal life hasn't gotten them down to where they come to work every day and they some intentionally and some unintentionally create a personal vendetta because they angry with whatever it is they got going on. They depressed. And so they just want to take it out on something or somebody. How often are we checking on these officers? I don't think we checking on them at all. You see it happening all the time. You see officers being using excessive force. You see officers who can't even have a, I think about that day on the scene. You had officers over that didn't even know how to have enough professionalism to understand that this is a grieving family. They was arguing with, they our, arguing kids. with our kids. They was laughing at us. And I have videos showing officers laughing. Like, we literally out there mourning. Like, and out there for hours. It's hot. My nephew's back there burning. And he's gone. And y'all literally out here laughing and arguing with the kids. Yeah. You got little kids that's upset asking what happened. You know, you got his mother who passed out. My mom who got overheated. You know, because it's hot as all outdoors outside. And on top of that, we are like completely messed up we can't believe that we actually standing down there on a scene for something like this you know, like i said earlier we ain't never experienced no murder we know sickness and disease you know what i'm saying and not no murder especially not no murder by law enforcement but they had no professionalism when she when the what was her name kendra baraski the detective when she came up and she was being questioned about the warrant and instead of her being able to be professional she's automatically on defense yeah. well who, who's the owner of the house i'm not gonna talk to you tell the only okay well tell her come here well tell her i'm not gonna go back and forth with you they were like well what's your name man what's your name kendra baraski yep i'm not and she walks off you gotta have professionalism regardless of the you fact of what's going on that. y'all just kill somebody's loved one so to work to y'all, he may not mean anything. To us, he means everything. And so, yes, we are upset. You know, yes, some people are hollering. Yes, some, but it's because y'all not paying no attention. Y'all not answering no questions. Y'all don't have no warrant. And then you got little 12, 13, 14-year-old babies out here crying and upset because they don't know what happened to their loved one. Y'all laughing at these kids. Y'all talking, arguing back and forth with the kids instead of being adults and professionals. I apologize. Let me get my sergeant. You know, let let me get the detective that's gonna lead the case to come over and talk to. They had no professionalism at all. So again, how often are we checking on these individuals? You know, how often have these individuals that were involved in this case or any other case? Why are we so slow to put out 
what their behavioral history looks like. Because if you got an officer that has a serious behavioral history, you know, where it's infraction after infraction after infraction, we got a problem. We're not holding officers accountable. If they got all kind of complaints on their conduct and how they're treating people, or if they're using excessive force, are they being inappropriate? They shouldn't be on the force still, but we don't know what that looks like because they ain't never going to let that stuff out. And when you start digging for that stuff, they just start trying to stonewall you. Every time you get, this is exactly what they're doing with Omari's case right now. Every open records request I file, I have to file them a couple of times to get them to give it. And then some of the stuff they like, they they can't release this, they can't release this. Okay, well, I already know that the Commonwealth Attorney's Office closed their case. I already know that the Public Integrity Unit has closed their case because they couldn't close their case. Commonwealth Attorney's Office couldn't get it to the Public Integrity Unit turned it over. So what are we waiting for? Once this case is closed on both ends, I should be able to get access to the entire case file. Why are y'all purposely trying to take months to give me the case file? I was just told last week, give us up to four months. You want to know why they want up to four months? Because the law says it's a statute of limitations on a wrongful death lawsuit. So they mindset is if we hurry up and give them this case file, they might find something in this case file. It's in here to where they will definitely have a case. So we're going to take four months to give him his case file. Well, I already know one thing that's not in the case file. One of the people that should have been a key witness, y'all never even got this man's statement. Y'all called him one time and left a voicemail. He made several attempts to reach back out to y'all to give a statement and not one time was he able to get a hold of a detective. Why is that? How did y'all do a thorough investigation with, and y'all left out a key witness? This is the man that lives right here on the street and saw everything from the front side of the house to the back side. Who can testify to how many shots was fired? Was say, who yeah. could testify to what direction he was running in? How was his statement not in the foul? Because he stated he heard three, three gunshots. So uh, just looking at Omari's case and all the other cases, because unfortunately it's become a, as a result of Omari's murder, it's become a passion for me um, to know as much as I can know. So in the event, hopefully by the grace of God, it doesn't happen to anybody else. But in the event that this type of situation does happen to somebody else, I can be a resource because I know what it feels like not to have any resources. And so now I'm just, really trying to educate myself to the best of my ability so that I can be that for, be there for somebody else in this situation because it gets hard you know I try to be strong for my family you know especially his mother um and I try to take on as much as I can but it can be hard when you're taking on a whole lot um it all in the name of trying to get answers so I'm trying to educate myself to the best of my ability to be able to help somebody else you know along the way because again the ultimate goal I said time and time again the goal is policy changes the goal is transparency, it's accountability. And on, at the same time, the goal is to teach our young black men how to interact with these officers. You know, don't don't run. Don't run, let them know you got something on, you know what I'm whatever that looks like because they can use the smallest thing against you to take your life. You know what I'm saying? And having continue to have those repeat conversations, you know, with not just the young men in our family, but I'm having those conversations with my baby boys at work. I'm having those conversations with my baby boys at church. Like I'm I'm trying my best to have those conversations because this is tragic. And it it hurts even more because you don't have all the answers. And we may never get all the answers, but it hurts even more when you can't even get somebody to say, here, I know you can go right here to this person. You know what I'm saying? Or, I know this right here was wrong or okay this is what you're not seeing this is what you don't know this is why they're able to do this right here if it, you know we you you really honestly you feel some type of way because it's like dang is it that we don't maybe you didn't know this boy from adam or maybe you knew him and you didn't like him but 
we can't as a community, as a society, we don't need to keep using that energy because if we keep using that energy, when this type of stuff happens, we'll never get anywhere. We are stronger in numbers. So to have the knowledge and to have the resource, man, it's key. Cause without it, you be, be you know I'm saying like we are just trying to, trying to figure it out. But what they did to Omari, I'm not saying that white men and women deserve to be shot and killed either. But what I am saying is our black men and women don't deserve to be killed. So if you ain't gonna kill them, don't kill us. Don't kill none of us. Give us our due process. And in the situations where we pose a threat, or we do something, you know, where we actually are trying to, then hold us accountable to that. But don't just be out here loosely killing us and then making every excuse to try to make like that's the exact way it had to go when it didn't have to go that way. And your video footage proves that it didn't have to go that way. Uh, but they're going to do whatever they can do to cover it up, which is why conveniently this marshal doesn't have any body camera footage. Um, because who's what other side do you see? If you can't see what the marshal saw and all you can go is based off what the marshal said and the little bit of footage that they showed, what do you really see? You see a man running through, you see a man running through an alley, jumping a fence, falling and shot. Killed. That's all you see. You don't see what they're trying to say took place. And that's disturbing within itself because you're basically telling the world, we got to trust y'all at y'all word. Well, y'all broken trust time and time again. So I can't really trust that what you're telling me this marshal said is the truth because y'all broken trust. I don't trust y'all anymore. I fear for my son's life every time he go out the door. Rather, that's fear because not because he's out here doing stuff, but simply what happens if he gets pulled over and maybe he's speeding in his car and y'all put the cuffs on him and he tenses up because the cuff is too tight. Are y'all going to beat him to death or y'all going to shoot him? That's the that's the feeling that, you know, we have to deal with. We have to decipher through. And it's sad for me because my father, too, is retired from the military and he's retired from the police. And I was never raised to have a disrespect or distrust for the police. But with what I keep seeing and now with what our family has experienced, I don't trust y'all's father. I can see y'all protect and serve me. Are you going to really protect and serve me? Are you going to corner me and kill me? Which one are you going to do? I really don't know. And there are still some good officers out here, but the problem with the good officers is they don't speak up about the stuff the bad officers is doing. We're going to keep it in the brotherhood. We're not going to address it. Our world and our city, our community, it'll never get any better with the mindsets that we continue to have. Stronger in numbers. We better as when we come together collectively, not just for Omari's case, but for all these things that's happening in this community and in this city right now. We're stronger in numbers. This ain't how it's supposed to be. We could eliminate a lot of the stuff that's happening if we would just want to come together and stand together, especially in situations where we know something's not right. But that doesn't happen. So we we really, one, we're grateful. We really want to say thank you. You know, nobody has really given us a platform other than the two small news media interviews that we did. And of course, they cut a lot of that out because we were demanding answers. Um, but we definitely are thankful for an opportunity just to be able to speak. You know, again, it's, it's, it's literally policy changes transparency nothing that's done is going to bring omari back but what it can do is help us comfort and continue to raise his children and comfort his mother it, by getting things changed so that we don't live in the same fear you know that we have right now what if i'm just jogging down the street and you mistake me for somebody else but, I, oh, but i'm legally allowed to carry my gun but i'm taking a job you might yeah and that's a good that's what can happen that's crazy you know you're gonna shoot me so um just getting them to look into mental health for these officers you know what what does it look like if he had a his beat last night he had a whole lot of crazy situations does he get a health and wellness day 
the next day uh, as he forced to come in and work overtime because y'all short staffed it. So now he's mentally incapable of doing the job because y'all overworked him and overused him so much so that we can't really trust that he's going to make a sound decision all in the name of he's tired and he, he don't really feel like he's up to it. An officer on the video made a comment. He was like, well, he was going to run anyway. Well, when I heard that statement in my mind, you saying, well, he was going to run anyway. So it was okay to like, what is that why he shot? Because y'all was tired of running. Y'all don't want to run because Omari was running pretty fast. No, that goes, that goes back to what I said. Uh, when somebody say something like that, that's a premeditated statement goes back to, you know, um, Oh my God. What you think of people, you know what I'm saying? When you're not used to their behavior patterns, you know, when you're not used to being around African-Americans or, or knowing how African Americans act, or you know, and uh, another big issue too is like you know uh, the investigating part because you know you can't use inner people to investigate people. You know what I'm saying? Like in the military, like we when somebody got in trouble for something, somebody did something wrong. Like people in the military investigated them, but it was somebody from a total different part of military that they didn't know they didn't have a relationship with so they couldn't pull no buddy buddy screens and then everything had to be right down the middle black and white so you didn't have no type of relationships like you either you did it or you didn't you know yeah and that's i'm like the public integrity the whole investigation piece I'm like the public integrity unit investigating this case what how do I? It's how do we not know some of the people. same detectives that's in the public integrity unit investigating the case are not some of the same detectives that was? This ain't making no sense. But a lot of the stuff, you know, didn't make any sense. And like anything, as far as the footage and stuff that we spoke on, you know, it's out there. If any of your viewers or anybody listening wants to go look, there is footage out there. Um, they've edited a lot of it. They've redacted the stuff, some stuff from a lot of it, but it's out there. Man, we are literally basically getting knowledge off the stuff that we know the records that i have been able to obtain and then educating yourself they say that the way to keep us dumb is keep us away from a book you know keep, you know you know if we want to keep somebody from being smart keep them away from a book but when you get to digging in those books and you get to looking up those policies and those procedures and you get to looking up some of these laws there's a lot of stuff about this case that is wrong a lot of stuff about this case that is wrong but until we can get the word out there you know people just go based off the media has a job to do so their job is to get the views up you know by putting putting certain stuff on there but they're not gonna come out and tell the whole story and so if we don't talk about it if we don't continue to speak to whoever's willing to listen you know what i'm saying rather you agree you know with what they done or you don't it's all in the name of making sure both sides are being heard because right now up until having sitting on your show on your podcast all they know is what the media put out there. You know, we make Facebook posts and, you know, we post questions and we, we stayed a little bit, you know, but we don't put out a whole lot. We stayed a little bit in the post or whatever, but people ain't really paying attention to, people don't read a whole lot. You know, they kind of just scroll. And so if you don't hear about what the other side of it looks like, you won't know. You know, anybody would start, start with the timeline of the whole warrant. And that right there should pose a whole lot of questions just thinking about the timeline of the warrant. Because like I said earlier, I'm a female. If I go take out a warrant for something like this, I expect y'all to act on it immediately, not wait months. Y'all waited months. That's an issue within itself. And then everything that happened after that, you know what I'm saying? Address on the warrant. Did you follow up? His physical address was his grandmother's house. No detectives was over there. 
Yeah, I can't say y'all didn't have the address because he's been gone for nine months. Child support papers came in the mail last month. So his address is on file. Yeah, they had you know, but y'all y'all never attempted to serve the warrant at his physical address. Y'all never attempted if you would have done some research, could have served the warrant over his mama's house. You could have pulled up some information to where he was linked to my address. You could have pulled up information to where he, you know, he linked to her address. Because he's he stayed with, you know, wherever he, her house, my house, you know, he, he his family is what we do. But none of that was done. There was no follow-up. So what happens in five months of activating, trying to serve a warrant? In order to serve that warrant, you got to do your homework. Y'all should have activated it immediately, but y'all didn't do your homework really, very thoroughly because, again, had y'all done it, y'all would have found him right there. He would have been, he's at, the, at her address where the warrant was. Y'all had her address and everything. Y'all would have so found him. That's how I know. I feel like y'all never even, like you said, they didn't activate the warrant. So later, y'all couldn't have never looked because if you did, you would have found him right over there. Yeah, I would have found them right there. Uh, but again, man, it's just, it's it's tough. But we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep trying to dig up information, you know, and trying to educate ourselves and educate other people because you don't really know, you know, but especially with these young boys, we got to start talking to them about how to interact with these police officers because maybe, just maybe, if he wouldn't have ran, maybe he'd be alive. I can't tell you I believe at 100% because I feel like Ed Marshall had an agenda that day. Uh, but just education is key. And at the same time, we still going to keep saying his name and we still going to keep saying justice for Amari Cryer because he shouldn't be dead today. Uh, he should be right now at the hospital with his son, uh, getting his life together, doing, being what he needs to be for his kids. And that was taken away from him. He'll never get an opportunity to do any of that. We have to step in and, you know, fill in that gap, but we can't never replace a father. So every day is hard. Every day is tough. But through the grace of God, we stick together as a family. You know, we try to hold his mother and his sister and his kids up the best way we know how. And that's what we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep pushing. Um, but we definitely appreciate the opportunity to be able to be on your podcast. And hopefully it falls on somebody's ears to know something that we don't. You know what I'm saying? And, and can reach out and, and maybe educate us because we're not against education. You know what I'm saying? And um, But it's, it's stuff out there. If people want to research the case, it's stuff available. I, I Google his name every night just to see if somebody done popped out a new article, uh, just to see what the article is saying. Um, but it's a lot of information out there that's available to people. We open to, you know, have questions. You know, we're not, we not with no drama or nothing like that. It's literally, we just a family that wants answers. We're a family that wants to see things change, not just for our family, but for the world. Um, and we're a praying family. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep praying and we're going to keep trusting, but we're going to trust the God to put the right people in our path uh, to make something shake what these policies look like. I don't know how to go about getting a policy change, but I'm going to educate myself on, you know, how to go about getting a policy change. I don't really know all they, they legal terms and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm spending time educating myself daily because uh, it ain't right. And it's a hard feeling to deal with when you don't really have the answers to explain to the teenagers in your family or, you know, to the babies, to his kids, or to the kids at church to ask, man, it's hard to explain when you really don't know, you know, so just trying to Educating, keep saying his name, man, is what we doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, anytime uh, you you guys want to uh, come on a show, y'all can come on a show anytime. You know, I record episodes all the time. And also, I think um, as far as us as a culture, I think uh, especially um, African-American males is just a hard um, attack against Afro-American males where, you know, where you think about the prison system, think about police brutality, and then you think about, you know, uh, no offense, because I, I don't 
I don't want them to flag me and that, but you know, I don't have nothing against this community, but I just have to say what it is. But the LGBT community, just because you know, uh, forcing this agenda on on our kids and putting it in cartoons and stuff like that, I think they um, they already you know started it with the uh, government assistance trying to take fathers out of the household and things like that. So I think it has to be a stronger emphasis in our community to. You know, like you said, you know, talk to young black kids, uh, black men coming up and uh, showing them how to just before they even get into what they want to be in life, just how to just be a human being and how to get by and interact with officers and just things like that. Because, you know, um, you just got to know how to maneuver when people try to, you know, use gray areas to to take you out or to justify doing some harm to you so yeah they'll they'll try to justify it for sure but i'm i'm right there with you you know i i'll reach out to them they're like man you be running up talking to people's kids yeah i'm running up talking to people's kids about these type things and, and not just that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna share my testimony I'm, I'm gonna do all those things because that's what i'm called to do but a lot of these kids they just don't know and then some of them, they've had some experiences already. And so they're already afraid, you know what I'm saying? And so they don't really know how to, what those situations look like. I, I can go back to my son. My son was racially profiled in the store that I work in. Thank God I've had those conversations, you know, with my son. So he knows how to respond to those situations because had he responded the wrong way, things would have went south. We probably both would have ended up in jail. You know, I would have been without a, a job, you know, something like that. But it's, it's educating these children, one, for no man but God. And two, if you do something, you make sure you're man enough to stand up for what you've done. Even if that means you have to accept your consequence, but don't ever put yourself in a situation where they're going to be able to say they was fearful of you and thought that their life was in danger. Because when you do it, it don't, obviously, you know, it don't end well. Even just trying to be a fleeing suspect, it, it don't end well. So if you're going to do something and I'm not condoning bad behavior, I'm not condoning domestic violence. I'm simply saying, be accountable for what you do. And if you don't want to be in those situations, then you don't go out here and do anything that could potentially put you in those situations. But we don't spend enough time having those conversations with our kids. Um, it's sad, but a lot of times in the household, you know, you got mama that's trying to work a job, go to school, maybe work two, three jobs. A, a lot of the households, father's not in the home, you know, father's gone, our father's in penitentiary, or maybe father's just out here doing him and not paying attention, or and it's, it's mother's doing the same thing, you know, but we don't spend enough time talking to these kids about what that those things are supposed to look like. We get so consumed sometimes as parents simply trying to provide that we miss the other side of that, which is the conversation part. When is the last time you looked into your child's eyes and had a conversation, looking them in their eyes, you know, having those conversations about how they really feel, what's going on in their head, you know, what have they experienced? We don't spend a lot of time having those conversations. And in a lack of those type of conversations, we only set it up for more situations like Omari's or more situation, all these type of crazy situations to continue to happen. So uh, my heart's desire is just to continue having those conversations and educate myself even more because it, it helps these kids. It helps this next generation, you know, and sometimes we think these kids aren't listening. Some of them really are listening, whether they know you or not, you know, some of them really are listening to what it is you're saying. I just had a conversation about interactions with police with my son and his two best friends just last night. 
we sitting down and we talking and we just having conversations and I'm explaining one of my son's best friends is biracial the other one is white I'm having the conversations and I'm explaining the differences of you know what those situations could potentially look like for one of them they probably gonna go on and let you go these other two maybe not so much and so you got to be mindful of what that looks like uh I can think of a time where my son and one of the best friends you know uh they was at the school playing uh throwing the football the football ended up on top of the school building they decide they're gonna try to climb up on top of the school building to get the football down a neighbor sees them trying to get on top of the building neighbor calls the police his best friend was able to walk home I had to go get my son you know what I'm saying what does that look like so just continuing to have those conversations continue to explain it uh, to where they understand it. It's unfortunate that you have to have those type of conversations to explain what those differences in some cases can look like, but you got to have those conversations because that's the reality that we live in. Uh, and we we continue to see it every single day. It, it's displayed every day what that looks like when it comes to interacting with these police officers. Uh, and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's sad. But if we don't educate our kids, who will? You know, so I, we'll continue to spend time, you know, doing that. Again, uh, it's just crazy, man. I, I I think about that day every day. Like I said, when he got killed, he was killed on my mother and her twin's birthday, which is his great aunties, and on his cousin's birthday. So May 20th is forever changed for us. Where we usually are celebrating, you know, the twins are getting a little birthday party or whatever. And then the Jamari generation, you know, they getting together for the cousin's birthday. All that stuff changes because every day we now have a constant reminder of that is the day that we lost a piece of our family. Um, so it, it, it's painful and it's crazy, but we got to we got to hang tight. We got to push through it. Uh, and the more you talk about it, the more you get it out there. You know, each day becomes a little bit easy. You never get over it, but you learn how to maneuver through your day. Uh, you learn how to hold your head up even through the pain. You learn how to trust God even through the pain. And so that's what we continue to do is days where she breaks down crying and I got to listen and I got to console. And then his mama breaks down crying and vice versa, you know, holding each other up. Other kids in the family break down crying and have days because it's a ripple effect. Uh, we're a close knit family. And so everybody shares their key moments and their key details and their key memories, you know, of him. And so it hits everybody different. It hits everybody at a different time, all the way down to the youngest, which is like maybe what, four or five it hits everybody different. You know, everybody has memories of him making TikToks and saying different sayings, being in the kitchen at the family get togethers. You know, we pretty much ate over his grandmother's house every Sunday. And, you know, we still do, but it's like, dang, we sitting over here, we eating and Mari ain't gonna walk through the door. Mari ain't getting ready to come in here and call me a little Klondike bar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mari ain't getting ready to come in here and throw a joke on somebody. I, and it's, that's, uh, it's hard, you know, cause it makes like, dang, I don't even wanna go over her house. Cause when I sit there, I gotta be mindful of, Mari ain't through that door. Not to mention, Mari was killed and a couple of months following Mari getting killed, his grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack, you know, and I, I we strongly believe Mari's death was just too much. And so it's just, uh, our family's been through a lot and a lot started with uh, losing Omari, you know, it's, it's just been a ripple effect, but we we keep trying to get through it, man. And just trying to make sure we, we become an outlet and a resource in case somebody else goes through this. Whereas Latanya's just kind of hold stuff up, you know, it's, it's not a whole lot of, uh, that's another thing that I was, I've been thinking about and praying about. It's not a whole lot of organizations available for families whose loved one was taken at the hands of police or for the children whose loved ones was taken at the hands of police. We focus on organizations and stuff like that for children who their parents was gone due to street violence or, you know, street gun violence, but not 
anything for an officer of the law to get parent away from you. There's there's nothing out there for them. You know, there's no no free counseling services or no mentor programs for those children. Not to say that they can't fall over into the other, but it's a different type of feeling when you know that somebody you're supposed to trust, protect, and serve, right? That's what they taught these officers, protect and serve. It's a bit different when those are the people that took your your mother or your father or your loved one away from you versus somebody from the streets. And that might sound crazy, but it, it's it kind of hits different, you know what I'm saying? And there's no outlet for those children. And I think about that all the time. There's no outlet for that grieving mother. My child was taken at the hands of a police officer. There's outlets for the mothers, you know, whose children was taken in the streets or whatever, but there's not a whole lot of groups of mothers or parents, you know, who law enforcement was involved. So Latanya really has her family to rely on. And, you know, there's some people that reach out to her, but comforting her and being there for her because it's a hard blow. We hurt, we hurt like crazy but we'll never feel the pain that she feels because she birthed him. You know, it was her firstborn son. Um, so just trying to be strong for her and stay on the move, man. Stay the course, you know, stay the course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I uh, think this uh, episode is going to resonate with a lot of people that uh, they don't um, been through similar situations with the, um, the hands of the police. And um, I think, um, uh, sorry that y'all um have to go through this. This tragic uh situation shouldn't have happened, but um hopefully um um this podcast episode and uh whatever y'all come across in the future, as far as resources and things like that, can uh send people y'all way so y'all can uh make more progress and getting more closure from the situation. I don't know what actually happened and get more details from, um, you know, um, all the details that y'all don't know about. So We appreciate it, man. Again, thank you very much for just giving us a, a opportunity to sit on your platform. Uh, speaks volumes, and we appreciate it. Hopefully, you know, just us being encouraged and uplifted with all, maybe it touches somebody that's listening, you know what I'm saying, to give them courage to keep pressing. No matter what, keep pressing and don't let them tell you what you can't do. Get out there, seek it, dig it out. It might take you some time. At times, it might drive you a little bit crazy. Um, but for us, God gives us strength to get through even craziness. But keep pressing. And for somebody that's listening and they're going through it, they experience it, man, keep pressing. Don't let them tell you anything. Keep digging and digging and digging uh, just to make sure that what they're telling you is all facts. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm uh... Like I said, I'm open to talk about anything. So, uh, you know, um, later on down the line, if y'all want to come back on, you know, y'all feel free to reach out to me. You know, you got my Facebook or my Instagram. Well, you got my phone number. I just thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you can uh, hit me up and we set it up. Or, you know, next time we can uh, do it in, um, in person or something. You know, I have to get with my cameraman and schedule with him. But, you know, uh, I like doing more, like, you know, I had the interviews with the popular artists and things like that, but I like doing more uh, real topics like this, just because, you know, the whole purpose of me why I started a podcast was because of mental health. And I feel like mental health is real absent among just life in general, especially among minorities, you know, especially, you know, things I had to go through in the past mental health wise with losing people and things in the military. So I, I'm a big advocate of that. And um, 
I just um, enjoy that I get to do episodes like this as far as so people can see the other side of what happens because everybody always see, you know, the headlines or, you know, they'd be like, oh, this person got shot by police or this person, um, you know, got awarded this or or whatever. But, you know, they never see, you know, from when that person passed away, when they got put in the ground, all the way, all those days leading after that, what the family goes through, the day-by-day grind of, you know, having it on your head every day while you still got to go to work and take care of kids and pay rent, things like that. So, you know. Man, yeah. And that that's mental health within itself. But I'm telling you right now, it's days where we, like, I have days, man, where both of us, all of us, really, I don't even know if I can get up out this bed because I spent all night long researching and I had to watch this video again. Like, it's tough. So, yeah, uh, if you ever have any follow-up questions for us or something comes across and you like, I might need to reach out on that. We here, um, we here, man. We we really again we appreciate the opportunity, but yes, thank you. We open for all kind of conversations, you know, not just about Mari's case. It's so it's so many different things that that need to be discussed to try to bring some insight and shed light on stuff in our communities to get our communities back to where they back to where it needs to be to try to get these babies, you know what I'm saying, and try to help some of them. Out of so many different topics that you can touch from her, and they all stem back to mental health. You know, what does it all look like? So we open, you know, if you ever want to reach out or whatever, let us know. And if we need you, we definitely will uh, reach out to you. But we, again, we, we just appreciate the opportunity to be a part of your platform and hop on and, you know, share our side of what we deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Anytime, you know, I do these all the time. So, you know, I, um, you know uh, all my stuff pre-recorded. So I drop episodes uh, every Monday at midnight. So um, I'm actually going to move this episode up. I'm going to have to go through my uh, vault and see which one I'm going to swap it out with. I feel like this one needs to be moved up. I appreciate that. Again, thank you so much for your time, man. And you got my number too. So if you need anything, let me know, man. I'm open to our volunteer time. I do all kinds of stuff. Just trying to be who God is calling me to be uh, out here. So again, thank you. And we appreciate it. Uh, no problem, y'all. Uh, and his mother said thank you just now. She was calling from the hospital when I had to take it, but she said thank you. All right, no problem. Yeah, I'm gonna um, uh, I'm gonna text you the date that I'm gonna drop this. I gotta go through my YouTube vote and see uh which which one I'm gonna swap out with. Cause I wanted either uh drop it at the beginning of March, so I'm gonna have to switch out one of my other interviews and push that one back. Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, make sure I let the family know his birth- his birthday is actually March March the thirteenth. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I let the family know you're gonna drop it probably around the beginning of March, so they'll know. You know it be, might be something we do during the little gathering. You know, just sit back and watch it, um, so they can get a perspective on what yeah. things look like. Yeah, yeah. If you go to my Instagram, uh, Eric J the Great, uh, my um, podcast link is in there, and it has. Oh, I found that I subscribed on YouTube. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was about to say every platform I'm on, it got all the links on there. So, okay, I'll go get on the other one too. But I did find it on YouTube. I did that earlier. Yeah, I drop every Monday at midnight, so that's the only time I drop uh, episodes. Okay, cool. We'll be looking for it. We appreciate it. 
All right. I appreciate y'all coming on. Um, appreciate all my supporters of the Eric J. The Great Podcast. We over uh, 3,400 uh, subscribers on YouTube. I appreciate everybody that's uh, been supporting the podcast. I appreciate y'all coming on, and uh, y'all have a good night. You too. Thank you. Thank you.